We're back with episode two of Let's Grab Coffee. Some people build great resumes. I build great networks. My name is George Felipe, and I'll be your host this morning. Joining me today is Julie Blakomo. I'm very excited to have her on the show. Julie is one of the most quoted and well-known etiquette experts in Canada. She's also an educator, a professional speaker, and author of the book Etiquette, Confidence and Credibility. She's been featured on CTV, CBC, Reader's Digest, Toronto Star, Huffington Post, and many more. I'm very excited to have Julie on the show today. Julie, thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. He's done his homework, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. I'm impressed. Let's grab coffee, Julie, and cheers to a nice morning together. Nice morning. <laughs> thank you. Julie, I'd like to start the show by asking you this question. So, how does one become a chief etiquette officer? What skills are required, and what prompted you to become an etiquette officer yourself? Okay, so whatever said with George stays with George. Well, <laughs> let's go back in time, George. I became an etiquette expert out of survival. And I actually talked about that at the beginning of the book. Way back when, when I was born, and still am, I'm gauche and I'm left-handed. So being gauche and left-handed kind of like put me in an awkward kind of place. Uh, when I was younger, I was also what my mother would call pleasantly plump. But I was a great student. I loved learning. But I knew that I knew stuff. But I also knew that to pass that first impression, to be able to connect with people, I needed to be able to display some kind of confidence. And back then, George, I would call it sort of like being a princess. So when I was younger, instead of focusing on my malaise, my awkwardness, I started to become a student of confidence because I knew that if you could display confidence, you would be credible. And I knew that that would bring me to connecting with people. So I started to read about etiquette, Emily Post, Yale Carnegie. You and some of our viewers may have read How to Win Friends and Influence People, which was written in 1936 and still very, very valid today. So basically, I became an etiquette expert out of survival. I see. Interesting. And you raised a book that uh, I'd love to read as well, Dale Carnegie. I mean, even Warren Buffett has, has claimed that he was his biggest mentor, you know, to be able to present and speak in front of people. So that's, yes. that's interesting. Yes. I also, I mean, you know, and a lot of people viewing this now, um, there's this big conflict right now going on between LinkedIn and Facebook, mm. where, you know, people are very sensitive. Like, if you go on LinkedIn and use it the same way that you would use Facebook, uh, you know, people are saying, no, there should be a fine divide between the two, and you should use Facebook differently than you would use LinkedIn. You know, what are your views on it, and how, how can you keep both platforms very professional? Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about the common denominator. Both of them are social media, and both of them, whether you put it on Facebook, whether you put it on LinkedIn, both of them are written in ink, right? It's in the famous movie, The Social Network, when uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Erica had a big tiff, and you know, Erica was upset with Mark, and Mark sort of like wanted to make an apology, and she said, you know what, Mark? The internet is not written in pencil, the internet is written in ink. So, no matter where you put it, mm -hmm. remember, it's there forever. And yes, you're absolutely right. The distinction is that LinkedIn is your professional network. That's where you go to show off yourself sometimes and encourage other, but that's where the connection will be done professionally through your network. You know, they talk about the six degrees of separation and they're saying now these days, 
because of social networking that we're able to get there within five links. And that's very evident on LinkedIn. On Facebook, some of us have a professional page on top of your personal page. On your personal page, you know, you can put in recipes, but if you were a nutritionist, a dietitian, a cook, you could put that on your professional page, it would appeal. So you have to think for both of them, what is my mission here? Why am I on LinkedIn? What do I want to achieve? The same thing on Facebook. For most people, being on Facebook, if I asked you, George, why are you on Facebook? To connect with people, to connect with your friends, to connect with your family, you know people from all over the world, yes. that's why you're there. On LinkedIn, why are you there? What do you want to achieve? What is your goal? And I think that too few people take the time to think about that. Interesting. Uh, you know, there's always been this fear too with, I mean, Facebook was one and then people sort of bashed it eventually. LinkedIn was always prided by those who, you know, have this etiquette standard it's more professional mm -hmm. but those using say snapchat instagram there's always this fear well with social media as if though it's like intruding to your private life mm -hmm. and so people sort of back away from it where you can actually leverage and use it to your advantage so very very true and especially for linkedin linkedin is not in my opinion a passive social network some people think that you know they put up a great picture they upload their profile and then they take shots of certain you know certificates diplomas that they have and then they sort of like forget to connect encourage other people put other people in the limelight you want to share what you read about you want to comment you want to congratulate and to me that is the most underused function on LinkedIn. Somebody celebrates an anniversary and they even tell you, you know, that you don't have to put it in your calendar. They tell you somebody's celebrating an anniversary. Don't just do the generic. If you if you are connected with them on LinkedIn, take the time to, you know, put something out there. Congratulations, George, you know, you're making my professional life so much easier by introducing me to all these great people. You know, I just made it personal. <laughs> just made it personal, so use that. And that's where LinkedIn can really make a big difference. It's not passive. Right, and I think that's, like, a lot of people get it mis misconstrued that you, you, you have to have a business for you to, to introduce the thank you economy. So say thank you or reply to comments or be present or stay connected. Yeah. I mean, you can just do it as an average person who's just, I mean, because I think everybody has a brand, right? And that yes. was a segue into my next question, digital branding, right? Yes, everybody has a brand. If you don't have a brand, that can be a brand. <laughs> it's not a very, very good thing. You should think about it. Um, one of my blog posts uh, at the onset of the year of 2016, yeah. you know, I asked people to think about their brands. And I did that on the Huffington Post. I write for Huffington Post Canada, Huffington Post Quebec, and is at that point come. And I ask people to think about, what do you want your brand to be? You know, if you could just put three words out there, what are they? So we've talked about why are you on LinkedIn? What is your brand? Try to bring it down to three words and solicit. Do a little survey. You could even do it on SurveyMonkey. Mm -hmm. Ask your friends, ask your colleagues, ask your mentors, ask your family members right. who you are. And then you select and be very, very decisive on putting it out there. And think about it. When I said that, when I put that on LinkedIn, or even on Facebook, am I staying through to those three words, which can, in essence, become your vision of things to come? What are Julie's 
three characteristics in our brand? Yeah, I think that, you know, when I think, I think that when I think, um, my brand pretty much revolves around the fact that I'm bilingual. Everything that I do is bilingual, in French and in English. My brand comes around savoir-faire without pinkies or noses up in the air. So I'll give you the answer so you can shine. I make it easy. People think that etiquette is complex, so it's easy. And also, my brand is energizing. So bilingual, easy, and energizing. When you finish a workshop with me, when you finish a coaching session, when you spend time with me, when you read one of my books, you should be energized and empowered to go out there. That's interesting. And you, you pinpointed uh, a detail you know, when you were talking about your branding. And you said that you know, I'll give you uh, some, of, some suggestions, I'll recommend, I'll encourage, but really it's up to you on how you want to massage it. So my question now is, is etiquette an art or is it a science or is it both? You know, um, it is a little bit of both. And if we're going to educate our viewers today, let's for a moment just make the distinction between etiquette, manners, protocol, and ethics. And you know, while I'm saying these words, maybe you want to stop and think about it for a little bit. Etiquette, ethics, protocol, and manners. And let me go and find, because at the end of each of the chapters of the book, I put a little summary in there. And of course, at the end of the first chapter, I give a summary. So manners. Manners are what to do. What to do. Protocol is when to do it. Protocol is derived from the Greek, proto, which means number one, proto, and kola, right, which is glue. So putting it together. So when you think about the order of precedence for Canada, who's number one? In Canada, for us right now, it would be our Governor General. And of course, when Her Majesty is here, Queen Elizabeth, it's Queen Elizabeth. So Queen Elizabeth, the Gigi, and then comes our Prime Minister. Ethics is why we do what we do. Ethics has to do with your values, with your values, and etiquette is how to do it. And etiquette could also be defined as, when in Rome, do as Romans do. So when in Rome, do as Romans do. So there's a certain level of adaptation, so we could qualify that as art. Whereas protocol is a lot more having to do with precedent. So it's very set. For example, if you remember a few years ago, well, you may be getting a little bit young, but some of us would remember the H1N1 crisis. So when we remember the H1N1 crisis, there was a protocol for how to wash our hands. What do we do first, second, third? When you're in the operating room, what do you do first, second, third? Um, during protocol, when heads of states are meeting, right here in Ottawa, we had the summit of the three amigos. Who should be introduced to whom first, and then second, and then third? Who's going to sit where at the table when you're having a meeting? All of that has to do with protocol. Etiquette, though, is going to be a lot more of how you're going to be able to do that. There is black and white. There are some rules. It's just the situation at the time and how you, you maneuver. Absolutely. That's, Absolutely. Uh, that's the takeaway. It has to do with the situation, with where you are, and what's the purpose for being there. What's the purpose for being there? What is the situation? Who are the players? And then it should all make sense to you. I like that. 
Let's talk about first impressions because I think, especially in business, I think in it, I mean in any industry, the way you present yourself in the beginning, in my opinion, has a lasting image with that person forever, right? It's the way they see you, the way you know your posture is, how how firmly you shake their hand. So how do you? I mean, do you have some tips on first impressions? I also ask the question: <laughs> Do you have the chance to make a second first impression? No, you never will, because that first impression is just that. It's called the primacy effect. That first impression, good or bad, it's just that. It's the first impression. And if that first impression was negative, do you know, George, it's going to take one, two, three times, three times for the person to sway what they perceived about you. Yes, granted, it's only a perception, but you know what Zig Ziglar said, perception is reality. And that first impression can be mastered, can be controlled, and this is where I come in. This is where I come in. Some of you are probably on their way to getting, and now more than ever in the entire world, it's possible. People are more educated than ever. How many people do you know that have bachelors, masters, PhDs? Oh, yeah. Too many. And too many, <laughs> right? But when they get out there, when they get that phone call, that email, sometimes even that text, you are invited to the interview. What's going to be the big difference between them, the other, the other, that comes from the same class, same province, same country, or somewhere else in the entire world? It's going to be how they're going to interact. Because when you're invited for that interview, when you're invited to go pitch, they know you have the credentials. You've already passed it on, quote unquote, on paper. But what's going to be the competitive edge? How you're going to interact? And that's etiquette. That's the interpersonal skills because when you don't have the etiquette knowledge, when you don't know what to do, when and how, based on the situation, you're in your head. You're paralyzed, you're frozen because you're scratching your head like, is it my turn? Do I sit down? Do I shake hands? Do I shake hands with everybody on the panel? What do I do? What do I do? So that's the competitive edge. So that's where the difference comes in. That's where the nuance comes in. And that first impression is key because when you're going to pass that door to go meet that client for the first time, when you meet the person for the first time, because many of you, I'm sure, you've made contact first on LinkedIn. Yes. You may have made contact first on Facebook or by email, but that in-person first impression, is it really what you're displaying? Is it really what you want to send out there as your first impression? The first impression can't be mastered. You know, I think, especially for me, uh, when, I, when I use Facebook, when I use LinkedIn, I mean, all my platforms now are sort of in sync. You know, I pretty much have like the same profile picture. The content is very similar. Uh, what if someone wants to put out content? Say they're a comedian. You know, yeah. say they're, they're, they're a dancer, like a salsa dancer, and it's not considered quote unquote professional, as in it's not a suit, it's not in a corporate setting. How do you bridge the two? How do you keep your personal hobbies, your passions, yeah. uh, sort of in sync with what you're doing in your full time job, maybe in, in the corporate world? Mm -hmm. How can you keep those aligned? Mm -hmm. You're still who you are, right? We love authenticity. We love authenticity. But it depends on how you're going to show it and what you're going to choose to present. 
right? And at what time? If you're the salsa dancer and you know it's your professional profile, well, of course I want to see you doing some uh, salsa moves. But maybe on your Facebook page, you're going to show me your weekend recipe for Canada Day. What do you put out there every Canada Day? Um, if I take myself as an example, I'll share with my readers. I have a free newsletter. I'll share with my readers some of my free recipes. I may show a snapshot of some of my family members. So I'm going to send out there some stuff that is maybe a little bit personal. I'm going to put that in my newsletter. I'm not going to put it on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, I give information. Sometimes I'll display, I'll show, I'll post the same thing on my Facebook page as I will on LinkedIn or maybe then on Pinterest. On Pinterest, it's going to be the same information, but it could be an, infogra an infographic. Right. On LinkedIn, I could put in a link to uh, one of my blog posts in Huffington Post or in Les Affaires. And on my Facebook, still the same content, the same information, I may take away and put in a video from one of the media that I've done on CTV Morning Live, Breakfast Television Montreal, or somewhere else. So, do you understand what I'm saying? The yeah. content is pretty much the same. Right. It's how you're going to adapt it to the media. To the con so, content versus context. Exactly. Right? There's always that standard, and so you just match it and deploy in different platforms. Yes, deploy it, and you want to be synergistic. You want to be synergistic. When you go out there and you do something, right, you want to reuse it. But it's in the adaptation to your audience. And that's the people skills. That's etiquette. Being able to adapt to your audience. That's the interpersonal skills. Let me give you a very good example of outstanding communicators. Typically speaking, astronauts. Astronauts have outstanding interpersonal skills. If we think recently to Commander Hatfield, yeah. right? We love Commander Hatfield. And right now, my newest like heartthrob, like you know, as far as a scientist, is David Saint-Jacques, right? The newest Canadian astronaut. Well, when David Saint-Jacques or Commander Hatfield go out there and speak to NASA astronauts, some of their peers, I'm sure that most of us would be listening and like, what are they talking about? But then at the same time, Commander Hatfield went out in space, right? And used common language. And he sang. And he showed us pictures of the world so that all of us could connect with him. Right. And he used it on different platforms. Just as David Saint-Jacques, when he goes out there, he's given all of these media interviews. Well, he also went to schools and spoke to elementary children, kindergarten children, and he made it just as vibrant. The content was the same, but they adapted to the context. And that's the soft skills. You know, everybody talks about the hard skills. The hard skills, let's call that education and technical abilities, right? But the soft skills, the people skills, that's where the difference is. There was, um, in 2010, George, there was a study that was done by Harvard University, Carnegie Foundation, Dale Carnegie Foundation, and the Stanford Research Institute. And it said that 85% of the reason why you're going to get that job, that contract, why those people are going to have confidence in you, is because you could have a drum roll, is because of your people skills. That's the big difference. And to have people skills, it's the nuances, knowing how to adapt yourself. Okay. Adapt yourself. 
So I think, you know, and you touched, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of having emotional intelligence versus, you know, just IQ. I mean, yes, it's necessary. Absolutely. But, Absolutely. Yeah. The best investment you're going to make is your education. Right. And then it's going to be that soft, IQ. Yeah. The soft skills. And that's where etiquette comes in. What if, you know, for our introverts who are listening, you know, for someone who doesn't like to be in the limelight, to present, to be with people, mm-hmm. how do they build that confidence within themselves? and portray that, that etiquette that we're talking about, the nonverbal cues, the hand gestures, you know, the, the dread, the, you know, how their fashion, I guess. Because all that's important, right? Yes, all of that is important. You know what, happy you know, George, there's a big part of me that's an introvert. <laughs> there's a big part of me that's an introvert. I spend time writing, I spend time by myself, and like everything else, actually everything that I teach, you practice. From the moment that you finish, reading a little bit of my book or a blog post or participating in a session in coaching, you can practice. Practice, practice, practice. The same thing for an introvert as an extrovert. No matter what skill that you have, you can still practice. You know, we look at these people, we look at, you know, let's use for an example, Will, Kate, the royalty, the rock stars, the movie stars. You see them on the red carpet. Do you think that the very first time that they did it, that they had that it, quote unquote, that everything was perfect? How many hours, between you and I, how many hours did you spend in front of the mirror practicing a selfie? Even if you're an introvert, you've probably tried that. Same thing, the same thing. The investment is the investment of time. And there's never a better investment than to do that into what you want to project out there. So as far as being an introvert, you still have to meet people. And the more you're going to do it, and fake it till you make it, You know, nobody needs to know when you're shopping in Mido Center, no matter where you are in the world, and that you go shopping. I love this. When you go shopping, when you go run your errands, walk like you mean it. Walk like you mean it. Think in your head, what are those three words that are your mission? Where do you want to be in five years? You know, a few years ago, uh, when Larry King was on CNN, do you remember that? Larry King was on CNN. And he interviewed Beyonce herself. And he said, wow. He said, you're just like, you're this diva. And you know, she goes, and then she's looking at him, right? And she, at some point, had some doubt. And he said, how do you do it? You know what she does? She looks at herself in the mirror. And she thinks, I am Beyonce. I am the queen. I am diva. It's not arrogant so much. It's about knowing who you are. And that's what her fans are, right? All of us that are fans of Beyonce, we want that. Is she arrogant? Is she mean? No. No. We see nothing but kindness from her. But it's about knowing who you are and where you want to be. That's what it is. That's interesting. You know, I, and I, I talk to my parents about this a lot. And, you know, we compare the ethics or, or the etiquette that was present, say, in the 80s or the 90s, the yes ma'am, the yes sir, opening the door for the woman. Uh, and and no, not that it's, you know, it's not present today, but there's a lot of things that, you know, I grew up seeing, say, from my father or my family members, that are somewhat lacking, you know, within the millennials. And I don't know if it's that they don't take it seriously or they don't care about it or it's just not that important anymore. How have you seen this generational shift? Yeah, Sander just graduated from a master of economics. A few years ago, he was doing... Um, his bachelor's at University of Ottawa, financial, mathematics, and economics. And he was reading, you know, passionate about math and economics and finance and numbers and all that. Complete different world than mine. 
and he came in one day from eating outside and you saw, and he said, you know, Mom, what you teach is E equals C squared. E equals C squared. And I looked at him and I went, okay, Alex, you know, help me out here, bud. <laughs> e, of course, etiquette, right? And then he said, etiquette knowledge would give confidence. Etiquette knowledge will give credibility. And then you're going to be coherent with your message, what you're going to send out to your clients. Confidence, credibility, coherence for your clients, and that's the competitive edge. So more than ever, it's important. What you're referring to is politeness, is manners, is civility. And you know, did it go the wayside? Maybe some families didn't have the time to teach that anymore. Maybe some colleges, some universities, some high schools, some elementary schools have put that aside. But take a look at our society. It has become, in some ways, very egocentric. But more than ever, we are together. This planet is becoming smaller. We're together. Civility is applying. We're in closer proximity to one another. So it needs to come back. And it's not just me saying it needs to come back. I'm getting calls now from uh, law firms, accounting firms, engineering firms, companies. Somebody is now a director on his way, on her way, to becoming a vice president, a CEO. And all of a sudden, they need to interact with people. And they realize that those basic soft skills, they never learned. They're embarrassed. They're paralyzed. They're afraid of going out there to network, to host. They go on delegations or missions are coming in. And so it may have gone sideways, but now people realize that it needs to come back. It needs to come back so that they can be assured and they don't make a full path because other nations in the world still believe in it and invest in it. And you could make a faux pas very quickly, very, very quickly, if the wrong person is on the right, wrong side of you. The wrong person is on the right, the wrong side of you, whether you're during a meeting, when you're hosting. Yeah. Just like that. And more than ever, we know. Click one picture, and then it goes throughout the world. Right. Did you see what he or she did? Right. And uh, I have a quote from Warren Buffett again. You know, he's a huge, uh, I guess, he's been a, a fake mentor of mine. But I, I aspire, uh, you know, to be, to be like him just because with so much wealth, he's always had this very rigidness of, of his character, his behavior. Mm -hmm. You know, he's still the same humble person. And he had a quote that said, it takes five years to build a reputation and just a minute to lose it. Right? Just like that. So. Just like that. Oprah Winfrey once said, you know, um, and this is continuing on with social media. If I cannot put it in my social media or in an email, because don't think that an email is just going to be deleted, right? Once it's out there, the person can do pretty much what they want with it. They can forward it, they can archive it, they can copy paste it and put it somewhere else. And she said, anything that has to do with electronic communication, if I can put it out there and think, that tomorrow morning, it's going to be front page of the New York Times, Oprah says, don't do it. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. So whatever you're building on whatever platform, could be like Facebook or some other social media, 
if it couldn't be on the front page of your favorite news source, your favorite magazine, your favorite newspaper, don't do it. That'll make you think twice, definitely, I think. Yes, uh, yes. That's interesting. Um, you know, one thing that's, one of the things I struggle with is, you know, especially in business and in finance, a lot of our networking happens in a bar, you know, in a more relaxed setting, you're having a couple of beers, and a lot of people experience it. And you don't want to be, you know, the kid on the block who just drinks water or sips on juice all, all night. So how do you, I mean, how do you maintain that level of, of etiquette or professionalism, even when, say, say your director or your manager or your employees sort of let loose a bit? And can you let loose on the same level? Like, how do you benchmark it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you're going to go back, the benchmark, the three words that you put out there, your mission, your, you know, your mission. What, what's your mission, right? What's your mission? Anything that is a work function, like if you're invited to the boss for a picnic, a barbecue, or what have you, tell your boss. If it's like 3 o'clock on Friday and it's a picnic in the backyard at the office, still a work function. Right. Should be the exact same thing. They're letting loose. What does it mean? Is it going to mean that, um, I don't know, you're going to play a game of golf? Okay, you're going to play a game of golf. Um, And, you know, let's be clear here about cocktailing or drinking. Drinking is a choice. It's a personal choice. None of our business, whether somebody chooses to drink or not. So those of you out there that have chosen, that have made a life decision, for whatever reason, maybe it's temporary, maybe it's forever, maybe it's been forever and you're going to change in five years, none of our business, whether somebody chooses to drink or not. It's never up to us to say, oh, come on, George, let's not lose, it's Friday or whatever. You never want to put someone in that situation. Yeah. You don't know why somebody doesn't drink, and it's none of our business. So let's make that clear. Um, if you do make the decision to drink, whatever you do after you want to drink, number two, three, of course you're responsible for. And, you know, it would be a shame to do that within a work setting. Um, and if you did that within a work setting or otherwise, we have to learn, we have to know how to apologize. Uh, because whatever you did, let's talk about the famous holiday office parties. You know, like <laughs> the we, Christmas we, party. Exactly, the Christmas parties. We've all heard, right, of somebody taking a shot of somebody and then the person may have forgotten and then the next day, you know, they show up at work and everybody knows what happened. That's a tough one. She's a <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So the letting loose, you know, about that. It's balancing fun with still, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you're going it. to watch a hockey game or the Euro this afternoon. How many of us are going to go out there, you know, on our TVs or go to a bar somewhere? And maybe it's your boss that invited you. Everybody, come on over to my house. We're going to go in front of TV and go. We're going to watch Iceland or France winter. It's going to be a big deal, right? So, yeah, I mean, that doesn't mean that you have to show up in your suit and tie. No, probably not. But, but you don't want to make a mistake. So what are you going to do? When in doubt, find out. You know, George, um, that's how I conclude my book. My maternal grandmother, her name was Florina. Florina Salva. Was not a very, very educated woman, but she was very curious. And back then, diversity, and I'm talking about cultural diversity and people from different countries coming to our country, it wasn't that popular, but she had the privilege of having an Italian family on one side 
and a Chinese family on the other side. Wow. And she lived on the second floor, and they both had gardens. So she would look one side and then the other side. And, you know, she would be invited or something like that. And, you know, I would look at her, interact with these people, or be fascinated by them. And I said to her, you know, Grandmama, like, what do you do? Like, you know, how do you know? And she goes, it's easy. It's easy. One in doubt, find out. When in doubt, find out. So the boss invites you over to watch the Euro. You know, come on over, George. Well, okay, boss, what's the dress code? Yeah. Would you like me to bring something? Yes, George, we're doing it potluck. You're responsible for the chicken wings order. You know, no, don't bring anything. And then, do you bring a hostess? Yes, you do. You're going to bring a hostess. Yes, you do. But when in doubt, find out. That's going to save you all the time. And that's, you know, that's interesting. You, you mentioned that. You know, don't show up uh, in a suit. I was, I was kind of giggling because I was going to be like, well, I probably would have shown up in a suit, you know, full pocket square, suspenders. Um, it's just my style. I, I, you know, yeah. I'm really comfortable. And even on Fridays, a lot of my coworkers are like, man, what are you doing? Like, what are you wearing? Are you, like, why, why do you have a suit on? Because everybody's in jeans. And that's just my style. Yeah. So, you know, my question is, even, I mean, uh, say, say in a network event, uh, say in an interview, mm -hmm. is, it, is it okay to just be yourself, to dress maybe a bit over according to the, the common norm? How do you, how do you Great question, that? great question. You know, uh, generally speaking, in a work setting, you're going to dress for the job that you want. So, maybe someday you want to become CEO. But before you become CEO, you need to get to the next level. Right. So you're going to dress for the next level ahead. Okay. So that they can already see you as part of the team. Because, what is clothing? What is clothing? It's workwear. It shows your alliance to a team. Let's go back in time, right? If we go back to the cavemen, you know, different people dress different ways. And that's how you could tell who's what. And even in the animal kingdom, right? Like the, the, the outside is what tells you what team you're on. So if someday you want to be a lawyer, you should dress like a lawyer when you go to interview for an offer. They want to see you as part of the team. If you're interviewing internally, if you're, you've been in your position for a year or two and now you're wanting to go up to the next level, emulate them. You know, they're going to have some commonalities. I'm not saying don't show any style because of course we all want that authenticity we've talked about that we all want to see the difference right we like style but style also should not be like everything's too much it should be cohesive right. it should be cohesive you should choose one or two accessories that pop and then that's it one or two accessories that pop and then everything else should be in line with the role with the job that you want Remember, we said at the onset that etiquette was situational. That's so, yes, so if you're invited to go watch Euro, it's very different than going to pitch with your boss a new client. The dress code is going to be different. If you're networking at work, like if you're network at, networking after hours, you should look like what you do typically Monday to Friday. And I just want to go back here for a moment to uh, casual Friday. Is that good? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the, the famous casual Friday, uh, there have now been studies done that since this big trend of casual Friday where people wear like jeans, sometimes ripped jeans, t-shirts, um, you know, women, their hair are up in a ponytail or what have you, 
Well, productivity has gone down. And so we said that we want to dress like for the job that we want, but more importantly, you should always, always, always dress for your client. The client that's going to be on your agenda, so on Friday, if you have a big client meeting, even if it's casual Friday, well, would your client understand if you're wearing jeans? If you're a notary, would it make sense on casual Friday to wear jeans when two of your clients are coming to finalize their wills? I don't think so. So you have to think about that. Who's your client? What are the activities of the day? That should dictate what to wear. So I'd like to wrap up this episode two of Let's Grab Coffee with one last thing. This is a bonus question for our audience. Julie, you know, you've wrote a book, a tremendous book, which can be found on Etiquette Julie, Julie's website. Um, you know, you've done all these speaking events in front of thousands of crowds. You know, you have your consulting on the side, bilingual trainer. How do you, I mean, just if you can give one tip for someone in their mid-twenties to succeed in something that they're passionate about, what advice would that be? The one tip is to invest in yourself. And invest in yourself, invest in your capabilities, in your abilities, and but before you do that investment, decide. More than ever, you are the master of your future. Decide what you want and then invest in yourself. Invest in your education, invest in your skills. Thank you very much, Julie. This wraps up episode two of Let's Grab Coffee. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Julie, I'm very grateful to have you on the second show. Thank you very much. Thank you. This was fun. And yeah. may your career vision continue to come true. Thank you.